we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 6. All right. We're nearing the end of our Timothy series. So several weeks ago, I didn't preach on it last week, but several weeks ago, we looked at the first few verses of chapter 6, the trouble with false teachers. And in a very specific way, false teachers who were out for gain. They would tell you things so that they could get something. We're going to pick up from verse 4. And our message this morning is entitled, The Worth of Contentment. And the price of greed. We we looked at earlier in the year um, kingdom commitment, and one of the sermons was on contentment. Today we're going to look at the other side of that coin a little bit more. What is the cost? What is the real cost of ambition in terms of money? Why does Paul warn us against the dangers of such things? And how does it connect to the idea of false teachers? So let's read the passage, we'll pray, and then we'll we'll get into it. So from verse 4, He's proud, knowing nothing but obsession with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wrangling of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain for such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from faith. In their greediness, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Lord, I pray that you protect our hearts and our minds from this destructive temptation. As your word says, we cannot see it from afar off. We only recognize it when it's too late. Help us to stay on the path and let your word be a guiding light to our feet so that we may not step 
the snare So we looked at the trouble with false teachers, and he says they're men or, or women or people who suppose that godliness, um, uh, not godliness, who, let's uh, read the end of verse 4 there, um, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. <laughs> if a false teacher comes, why does Paul warn us against this? If a false teacher comes, it is in his benefit or the person's benefit to make you discontent and to reason that discontentment from the word of God so that you would give him more money. <laughs> we see this today. And there it was written 2,000 years ago. So Paul writes this description of greed and all the destructive things that it brings to warn the congregation of believing or being tempted by such teaching. Are you saying that, that God can give me that house that he says that I deserve that house and if I'm faithful enough to this church and uh, in my tithes and then God owes me that house we, we do see that right <clears throat> verse 5 and here's our first point this morning what does contentment look like firstly it is combined with godliness. Contentment combined with godliness. So he says, supposing that godliness is a means of gain, but I say to you, this is the, the contrast to that, he says, it's not a means of gain, it is, a, it is gain in and of itself. But he says, um, sorry, For such things withdraw yourself. Verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. <clears throat> to walk righteously with the Lord, we, we call the word piety, is an, is an old English term for what does godliness look like practically? And combined with the mindset and the attitude and, and faithfulness that... Um, that produces contentment. And that has eternal value. That is where the real gain is. That is what will be rewarded in heaven. And not only that, but not in a physical sense, but we, we experience that quality of life now. And it's not connected to, to physical things. Why do we strive? Why do we think um, getting that thing that you wanted will somehow bring happiness? We know that that's not tr true, but, but yet that's still the motivation. It was 2,000 years ago. I, 
I desire all these things so that I can be content. Paul says, no, <laughs> that is going to do the opposite. You can be content now. The quality of life is now. So godliness with contentment is great gain. And it is in the combination of practical obedience and living according to the word of God with the, with the attitude and mindfulness that comes with Lord, my faith is in you for my my spiritual well-being, my salvation, and my physical needs. Then we can find great gain. <clears throat> Secondly, great gain is not temporary. In verse 7 it says, so he reasons through this logically. He just says, think about it for a second. For we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. <clears throat> when we preached on contentment last year, I preached from a parable where a man <clears throat> suddenly was blessed with um, an insurmountable amount of wealth. Jesus preached this parable. <clears throat> the man, there's a few things to note. The man wasn't greedy. The man wasn't... Um, didn't lead a prodigal lifestyle where he just spent and wasted his money. According to the parable, he had the, the wealth just came, okay? And he said he planned so that he could live comfortably for the rest of his life. So he was a good financial planner. He didn't come upon the money uh, illegally. And yet, at the end of the parable, Jesus says he was a fool. Because he said that night, while he was still planning and scheming, he died. Your very soul will be required of you. You can't take any of this with you. And the admonishment was that the management of wealth doesn't bring contentment and peace. It brings more worry. And it leaves less time for the, for the mind and the things of God. So I'm not saying Money is bad. Wealth is not wrong. And we're going to read about the distinguishment there. But what money did for this man in the parable was distract him from God. And he was planning and scheming. He was pouring his time and effort into managing this absurd amount of wealth. <clears throat> And it was temporary, and then that's the that's the thrust of that that um, that parable that we're 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 not using our time for eternal value. There was a lot going on in that parable, but that's what I want to bring over here to this this passage. He says, "Can't take anything with you." 
they reason logically. And thirdly, what does uh, contentment look like? Combined with godliness, it's permanent. It's, uh, it, it has permanent value. Verse 8. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. It's easily obtainable. If, if it's about, if I have these things, then I don't need to worry anymore. But what's that in our mind? If I have this amount of salary, if I live in this place, if I don't have to deal with this person, if I achieve this goal, then I will be content. Paul says, if you have clothing, remnant, it, it actually includes the the word is a covering, so it includes a roof over your head. The, the word remnant literally means covering. If I have clothes on my body, if I have a place to sleep, and if I have food for the day, that's enough to be content. So, we need to lower our bar <laughs> in a good way. It's not out of reach. If you're, if you're a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you trust him for your salvation, how can we not trust him for such simple things? And over and over and over, Jesus himself teaches on this. We had to do a topical messages on all the, the times the Bible speaks about money. I think we would have enough sermons for, for years. <laughs> Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And he starts describing the destructiveness of greed. And that's our second major point, the destructiveness of greed. The snare of temptation is the first one. And as I said, temptation has a funny way of sneaking up on us. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good illustration because it implies that we are helpless in that. That's not true. But we, we, never, we never really identify it from far off, do we? Maybe some temptations we do. But it says that the temptation of greed and discontentment has a funny way of just being there. then it's all the more important to watch for it, to be vigilant against it, knowing how, how easily we are susceptible to it. I think in, to some degree we have all experienced that. Just that, that thing, just this, this goal, just that promotion or whatever, 
again, those things in itself are not bad. But it becomes a temptation that says, foolish and harmful lusts into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. Harmful lusts is our next um, destruction there that temptation turns into desire and lust. You don't connect word lust with money but that's what it uses there almost sensual desire for money and it said it's self-destructive it's it's harmful and it drowns these illustrations um that paul is using it's very specific it's Describing the nature of greed. Once you're in it, you can't just walk out. You can't just shake it off. It's like drowning. How how do you dig yourself out of that? It's it's very difficult to to put off. That's this is what we're we should be getting from Paul's description. instruction and tradition it says because for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil the new king james and the king james says um, the root of all evils i think it's not saying that money is the source of evil (laughs) but if you think about a plant there's, um, I think it's a pine tree. Don't quote me on that. But there's a tree, an evergreen tree, where um, it has many branches and many leaves, and and the needles of a pine tree are, are tiny, right? The leaves, and it grows huge. Again, I might be getting the species wrong, but then the root doesn't branch out like you would imagine a root. It digs straight down like a borehole almost. They found uh, excavated fossilized uh, roots that go down hundreds of meters and it's this one root that goes down to a massive underground source of water. So one root all the leaves and, and nourishes all the leaves of this this tree. That is the image we can think about when we think about greed. It's not the, the source of evil, but from this one thing, it brings all its friends along. Greed. Think about it, what kind of things people have done in the pursuit of money. Lying, stealing, murder, um, and those are just three. <laughs> we, can, we can list countless things people have done 
because I want. That is what it's indicating, that this from this one temptation that morphs into lust, that 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 becomes this, this inescapable um, thing, breeds and, and leads to so many other sins. It's, it's not a thing unto itself. That is why it's so destructive and dangerous. And it says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. <clears throat> Second Timothy is a letter to Christians, to the church, to govern themselves, to have good relationships, to, um, to build a healthy body. And he says, this has caused people to stray from the faith. Jesus himself taught, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve me and money. And, and this temptation in Paul's day, he says, has led many people on paths away from fellowship of the saints, away from uh, honest rebuke away from the accountability of a, a Christian family and um, even exposed unbelief I'm sure I think um, I don't think that's implied in here but but it could very well have been the case <coughs> And, and so it's not just a personal matter, although I do pray that we all apply it personally today and, and be more vigilant and careful. But he says, we need to almost watch it in our fellow believers. If we have a responsibility to each other and we recognize how destructive this, um, this temptation can be, for the sake of the church body, let's beware. And pierce themselves through many sorrows. Just to, to recognize that person far off that has strayed from the church, they are not better off. You are not better off. Following earthly desires at the cost of godly sanctification. He says, they have pierced themselves with sorrow. Have you ever tried to No, they're off. I'll not go there, but if you imagine stabbing yourself, that that's not like, oh, you know, that's not what Paul means, piercing yourself with it. No, he means stabbing yourself with sorrow to recognize almost like a condemnation, or, or not a condemnation, but 
but these people that have gone their way, they are they're not happier. We need to <clears throat> we need to recognize the snares. How do we guard against something so precarious? Where do I step? It takes a lot of internal evaluation. It takes a lot of um, spiritual maturity and knowing your own flaws and and sinful dispositions and and relying on God for the strength to resist where we are weak. The the body is a place of counseling place of growth what happens here on the pulpit is edification but this is not the only place that it happens it, it happens out there as well it happens on whatsapp during the week it happens when we take a meal to someone when we when we phone a church member up, how are you doing? Well, I'm struggling. <laughs> it happens when we're honest with each other. One of the areas I feel um, we can grow as a church together is this. Um, to, to learn how to counsel each other better. And to... to help us defend against the temptations that we don't always see ourselves. Right? Hey, watch out, don't step there. If, if Paul is applying this to the church context, I think we, we would do well to do the same. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to make us aware of the, the dangers of greed. But that whatever we have, we can be grateful. Not shun it and not um, be disapproving of others who do have, no, that's not what it's, it's asking us. And, and I thank you that your word is clear and concise and that we can, we can be reminded from it and learn from it, especially in this area. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you provide and we pray that we may be more faithful in our prayers. Recognize that when we praise you. Not because of what you have done, Lord, but because of who you are.